up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show Season 3, Episode 5. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing and publishing your story or any sort of book, you'll find all the mentoring you'll need to fulfill that book-launching dream. So hop on over to BookLaunchMentor.com and see what what kind of services we offer. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to highlight the iTunes Review of the Week. This is a short and sweet one. Today's review is by Piano Teacher. And Piano Teacher writes, Mary was born for this, and I'm personally very happy she's at it again. I was a faithful listener to her previous Uncaged podcast. She's back and better than ever. So in that, I hear she's back. So Piano Teacher, thank you so much for writing that. And if you have been touched by the Restory Show and you would like to see it reach other folks, all you need to do is write a review wherever you listen to it and also share it with a friend. Uh, That's actually the best thing that you can do for the show. And if you'd like to record your own story, you can go ahead and run on over to marydemuth.com, and there is this little icon that looks like a microphone, and you can record your own two-minute story, and we'll add that into the podcast so others can hear your story. So today, I am welcoming fellow podcaster Laura McClellan to the Restory Show. She's got an amazing story from her childhood that I think will bless many of you. So without further ado, here is Laura. Hey, everyone, it's Mary with The Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have Laura McClellan on with me. And she is also a podcaster, and she podcasts at The Productive Woman. So look that up, because she's a very productive woman. She's a lawyer, and as well as a podcaster. I guess she's a lawyer before she's a podcaster, but because that pays her bills. And anyway, she's actually the one that taught me how to use Call Recorder for Skype, and she gets a big, huge hand clap for helping me launch this podcast. So I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming on the show today, Laura. Oh, Mary, it's an honor to be here. I, I, I'm a little bit nervous. I've been <laughs> podcasting for two and a half years, but th- this makes me a little nervous <laughs> to be on this side of the of the conversation. Yes, I get to be on the other side of the mic and ask all the probing questions. So <laughs> that's what's so fun about podcasting. So you and I kind of grew up in the same-ish area, I think, uh, but I want to hear your story. And I know that the one that you're going to share today is going to come from high school. So kind of bring us up to date or bring us to the place where you want to share your story. Well, sure. I I grew up in Western Washington, kind of all over the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm the oldest of a bunch of kids. My parents married very young. And, you know, there's a whole history behind how my parents came together. But the short version is my dad was an alcoholic. He was a functional, a high functioning alcoholic who always worked very hard. He was a log truck driver because he had not graduated from high school, but he worked very, very hard. But he was one of those kind of that always the grass was greener somewhere else. So we moved a lot and it was always little tiny logging towns in, in Western Washington and Idaho and different places. And so as a result of that, I went to a lot of different schools. I went to three different schools for fifth grade alone, you know, all kind of in the same area there, uh, but different little schools. And being what now I can, you know, identify as an introvert. And back then, 
pretty shy. It was hard for me moving around uh, as we did. My mom always did such an amazing job of making home for us wherever we were. But, you know, this was all back in the late 60s, early 70s. But my parents fought a lot, a lot. And as the oldest kid, I kind of was more aware of it maybe than the younger kids were. But eventually, when I was, I want to say, 12 or 13, my parents divorced. My mother had just had enough. And I've learned a lot more about the story since her story since then. She's an amazing, strong woman who went through a lot, uh, but she had all she could take. And so she, uh, they divorced. And uh, a couple years later, my mom was in a relationship with a guy. And at this point, there were five of us. So I was the oldest of five. The first four of us are pretty close together. And then I had a younger sister who had been born when I was uh, when I was about 13. And the the guy that she was seeing was violent. And I, I didn't like him. I didn't trust him. Um, my younger siblings kind of liked him because he was he would charm them. He would buy them presents and stuff. And I just never would would accept it. I didn't trust him. And I saw the signs over time that he was abusing my mom. She had bruises and things like that. And there was an event that happened by now I must have been 14. And so maybe maybe the divorce happened a year or two before that. But anyway, uh, we had been at dinner, my little sister, who was a, you know, toddler preschooler at the time had gotten in trouble for something at the dinner table. And so this man who was having dinner with us, sent her off to you know, kind of, I think, swatted her on the behind. He didn't abuse her or anything, but sent her to sit in a chair and think about what she'd done. And she was sobbing. And and so when I finished my dinner, I went into the living room and I sat down near her and I just kind of, and I just was wanted to soothe her, and calm her down. And so I just said her name and I heard him say, don't talk to her. And I ignored him and said, and said her name again. And I'm, I'm trying to shorten this story. He didn't approve of my behavior, came in, basically grabbed me by the hair out of the chair and slapped me down into it. And he didn't punch me or anything, but he slapped me a few times. And then, you know, I, my mom didn't do anything. She was at the dinner table with my siblings. I know now she couldn't have. I think if she had tried to intervene, he would have hurt everybody. I mean, I wasn't injured. I was angry. And so when he, I mean, it all happened in a very, you know, a few seconds. And when it was over, I got up and walked past them, got to the back door. And I heard my mother say, don't leave this house. Mm. And I got to the door and I took off running and mm. I never went back. Wow. I ended up in foster care for the rest of my high school life and Eventually, you know, my mom and I were reconciled and I came to understand what had happened there. And she was really in a no-win position and all of that. But, you know, because of it, I just, I didn't go back. And so I, I was in foster care until I graduated from high school. And the day after graduation, I had to move out and find somewhere to live because I was out of the system. One of my interviews was with a lady who basically helps girls who age out of the foster system, Becky Schaefer, and she has an amazing story as well. But it's a huge problem because once you hit that age or you graduate from high school, then suddenly 
you don't have a family anymore, like if you're in the foster care system. So have you, I'll back it up just a little bit. Have you ever counted how many different places you lived as a child? You know, not recently. I mean, there were, there had to have been a dozen or more wow. um, that I know of. We, I mean, we literally, we moved a lot. And like I said, it was always, I mean, we lived in Seattle for a while. Um, we lived in Idaho for a while in a little place called Orofino, Idaho, or Orofino, Idaho. And we lived in Lewiston, Idaho for a while. But then mostly it was in Western Washington, little towns like Amboy and Winlock. Oh, my goodness. So you also like went to tiny schools, I would imagine, that were like kind of tight. And so going into those school situations, being shy and introverted, I mean, how did you feel when you walked into a new school? Were you terrified or were you just kind of resolved or how did that work? It was, I think when I was younger, I think I was scared. You know, I was nervous about it because I didn't know anybody. As I got older, I think I was more resigned. And I remember one time in particular when they said, you know, came and said, okay, well, we're moving. And I cried and I told him I'm not going to make any friends at the new school because every time I make friends, you make me leave them behind. And I'm, I was not one who made tons of friends. I always found one or two girls that, you know, I became close friends with wherever I was, but I was, you know, kind of the nerdy geeky. We didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have the right clothes. And, you know, starting with, in I think, sixth grade I, or fifth grade, I was wearing glasses. So I had that going for me. I was a bookworm. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, kind of uh, the the perfect storm of everything geeky, the new girl who looks <laughs> looks geeky and and all of that. But I don't want to give the impression that I was miserable all my growing up years. We We had a close family. We, you know, we did lots of things together. Uh, my dad was not, as I said, he was an alcoholic, but he wasn't unlike the, the the other man, the other man who my, I, to her credit, my mom got rid of him shortly after I left, but my dad was always a very happy drunk. (laughs) He, he never met a stranger and he was very sociable and they'd have people over to the house all the time. And, And so it's not that I was miserable or anything, but I was lonely. So on the day that you ran out of the house, I'm just picturing this. Where did you go? Like, how did that work? Did you grab stuff or did you like, did you have shoes on? I mean, I I must have had shoes on me. I don't remember what time of year it was, but it was during the school year. And we lived at the time in a little town in eastern Washington called Kittitas, Yeah. And so it's a very small town. And I ran across town to my best friend's house and hid in her basement. Uh, Her mom actually was a foster parent. They, They had foster kids there. But I hid in the basement and somebody, and, and so my friend Kathy, you know, kind of hid me down there. But eventually her mom, <laughs> who was not oblivious, as you know, um, found out I was down there. And I think because she was, you know, a licensed foster care provider, had to, had to report that I, a runaway was in her house. And so the police came to talk to me. And um, they, I remember sitting at their kitchen table 
and the police asking me some questions. And I was so angry at my mom. I was so angry at the situation. And I remember they're writing some things down, asking me my name and age and birth date and what's your mother's name. And I said, I don't have a mother. Mm. And that's when they kind of, then they made a call and took me off to another foster home. So. And were you in the same foster home the whole time or were you in different ones? I think over the course of the three years of high school, I was in maybe six or eight, several of them. But you stayed in the same city. No, oh, you I didn't, didn't even do that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, we, I was in Ellensburg, which is a bigger town, kind of, as, as you probably know, near Kittitas. I was there for a while. The summer after school let out, I think I went to visit a friend in Western Washington at, for the summer and her parents ended up getting themselves licensed to be foster parents. So I could stay with her for a while, but we got in trouble. We were sneaking out at night and doing things that sophomore aged girls do. And so I got kind of pulled from there and taken to a foster home in Chehalis, which is so this was like October of my sophomore year in high school that this all happened. And I mean, the the upside is I stayed in Chehalis until after I graduated. And I so I was in that same high school for the rest of rest of my high school education, but I was in three or four different foster homes during that time. And were you, did you feel safe in those homes or were they, I mean, how did that work when you left? Was it because you had to leave or were they not needing to hold you anymore? I mean, I I didn't know, like I've always kind of heard people moving from one to another, but not why. Yeah, it varied. You know, in some cases it was because like the, the first foster home I stayed in over in Ellensburg it was a couple that were students at the university there and they, I think the school year ended and they were done. And so I had to find somewhere else to live. And then I went to go visit my friend. And so I stayed with her. We got in trouble because we got caught sneaking out and doing things that we shouldn't have been doing at 15. And, um, and so then I got taken to, you know, they called this, whoever the case, my caseworker was, and they took me somewhere to stay for a while. And I, there was a period of time in there where my dad was also living in that area. And I I went and stayed with him for a few months, but that didn't work last very long because he left. And so I stayed with one particular family for most of, I want to say like most of my sophomore and junior year, them, I had so, I mean, they, they changed my life in a lot of ways. They were just really good to me. They believed in me and supported me. They got me involved in a church and it was the church where I accepted Christ. So that was a huge difference. And because of that, I got involved in a Christian singing group um, that was directed by uh, my choir teacher at high school, in high school. And that's the group where I met my husband uh, during our senior year. So they were wonderful people. They still, uh, we see them, they, you know, they're, they're still part of our life, but they had their first child and they felt like they needed to have their family. Their, their first child was born. I think she was pregnant with their first child when they felt like they needed to just be them. And so I stayed in a couple of other places between then and when I graduated. When you heard about Jesus, what kind of religious background did you have? And then did hearing about Jesus, was that like out of the blue or were you excited about it or rebellious against it or how did that work? Well, it's it's interesting because 
with all the moving around that we did, my parents did not go, were not churchgoers, but wherever we lived, my mom would always send us to Sunday school at the nearest Baptist church. <laughs> and so I knew, you know, I went to Sunday school. I don't think I'd ever been to a church service, but we always went to Sunday school. We always, the only time my parents would come to church was uh, would be when the church would Sunday school would do their little Christmas program and they'd come and watch us be in that. So I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. I knew about all of that. And uh, Fred and Julie, the people that I stayed with that kind of got me involved, they happened to attend the, the Baptist church in Chehalis. And so I went with them and I got involved in the youth group, some of whom I knew from school. And so I knew all this stuff. I'd read my Bible, but I remember the event. We had kind of a rowdy youth group, as youth groups sometimes are. I re- I'm trying to think the the youth leaders were a, a single man and a single woman. Her name was Diane. I can't remember his name, but we were having a, this youth group had took particular pride in having run through youth leaders pretty re- run them off. <laughs> but these two stuck around and we were having one of our evening meetings. I don't know if it was Sunday evening or whatever it was. And they had us, I don't remember what the lesson was, but they had given us an assignment to write down, you know, the ways our sins for some reason. (laughs) Make a list. (laughs) Yeah, make a list of our sins. Uh, And I know there, that sounds horrible, but I know there was a better lesson to it. But I, I remember writing things down and looking at it and just being completely overwhelmed by how sinful I was. And I got up and ran out of the room and Diane followed me out and talked to me about, about, you know, forgiveness and that there is grace for those things that those, those things don't have to define who we are. And so that was the night that she, you know, she prayed with me and, and, and so I knew of Jesus but I had never really made the connection between who he was and why, what that meant for me. Mm. And so then you met your husband in the Christian singing group. And what was it about him that attracted you to him? Oh, my goodness. Well, he was, he's very talented. So I, I was one of the singers. I, and I'd started singing in that group uh, when I was a junior in high school. He came in, our, he went to a rival high school. So I didn't know him before, but he came in our senior year as the bass player. And people who are involved with musicians, especially high school and college age musicians, know that the the, the instrumentalists, the rhythm section, uh, because the, the group was like 15 to 18 singers and then a rhythm section, piano, guitar, bass, drums. And the rhythm section doesn't really think singers are actually musicians. Right. So, <laughs> so they didn't, you know, we didn't we were all sort of friends, but they kind of did their stuff and the singers did their stuff. And so I knew who he was and he had filled in uh, during a rehearsal one time on the piano when our piano player was late or something. And I remember thinking, wow, he's really good. He just sat down and started playing that. But we didn't really start hanging out until after shortly after graduation. And there's a goofy story about that that I won't, I don't think I'll bore you with, but we, over Fourth of July weekend, he was camping with some of the other guys in the group, and one of the girls in the group liked one of the other guys, mm. so she wanted to go raid the, the, their campsite, but didn't want to go alone. So I went along, and you know, one thing led to another, and we we 
And so Mike and I started just hanging out as friends. He invited me to come help him put the camping gear away or something mm-hmm. goofy like that. And that was 4th of July weekend. By October, we were engaged. Wow. And by the following March, we were married. <laughs> Fast. What a, and you asked me what attracted me to him. It was, at first, his talent caught my attention. But it was his integrity, his uh, something in me knew that he would never betray me, that he would not that he's, you know, some kind of saint, but, you know, it, it didn't take very long for him to declare his love for me. And I knew he meant it. And I knew that wasn't going to change. And uh, how many years have you been married now? It'll be, it'll be 38 years a month from today. Wow. That's awesome. And you have how many kids? We have five kids, seven grandkids. Wow. You are rich. Yeah, we are. Well, you know, we were 18 when we got married. So, you know, we, uh, we got in early and we had, uh, we were 20 when our first child was born. So we had, we got a head start on building the dynasty. (laughs) Yes, the dynasty. So uh, another question I have is, you know, you have this kind of fractured childhood. Part of it was great and but you also were moving around a lot. There was some insecurity, I'm sure, that came about. And then foster care was definitely not an ideal. So when you started having children, did you have a fear about how you were going to parent your kids? Or did you have some sort of like gritty determination to do things differently? Or how did that, how did that manifest? How did your past kind of talk to you when you started having kids? Well, I mean, I was afraid I'd be a bad mom. Not because my mom was a bad mom, just because just the insecurity that I had grown up with of not really knowing, it's sort of strange, I've, I've thought about this at various times, that I never really knew where I belonged. I always even felt a little out of place in my own family, not because they were mean to me, but because I was always a bookworm, I read voraciously. And so I always knew there was a bigger world out there where a lot of my family seemed to be content with the, you know, do the nine to five blue collar job, go out and drink on the weekends and and have a family barbecue on Sunday and, 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 you know, rinse and repeat. And I always had this kind of longing for something else. There's a bigger world and I want to see what's out there. And I was, you know, I was a as I said, a bookworm, I always did very well in school. That came easily to me. So I was that nerdy, kind of studious one where everybody else was sort of the rowdy. I don't and and so I wasn't sure I knew how to uh, how to make the kind of home that I wanted. And I kind of looked around for people to be a mom like. Um, and my choir director's wife, who wasn't that much older than me because he was, uh, they, they had married young to me. She was the ideal mother. She was a few, just, just a few years ahead of me in the in getting married and in having children and stuff. So I watched her and copied her and I copied my mom in the sense of her. I mean, she, she was a, she was so protective of her kids. That's why the, the whole situation that happened that one night was so out of character for her. Um, because she's always been absolutely, didn't matter what her kids did or did to her. She's just a, a lioness protecting her cubs always. And I, you know, I admired that. But mostly I I followed, you know, watched Vicky and tried to do what she did. 
I've had a few Vickies in my life too, because I just had no idea, you know, just starting a family and you feel, whether you've had a hard past or a normal past, you still feel completely incompetent when it comes to raising children. Oh, the day we brought Rachel home from the hospital, we, you know, they walked us out to the car and put her in her car seat into our car and we drove off and we, and we were 20 years old and we looked at each other like, I can't believe they let us leave with her. <laughs> Don't they know what's good for our child? Yeah. <laughs> they let these youngins do this. So later on, you, you know, you're a lawyer now. So something happened in between uh, giving birth to five kids and, you know, podcaster lawyer Laura right now. So when did you kind of, did you have a dream to do that? Did you go to under, where did you go to undergrad or when did you go to undergrad? And then how did lawyering fit into all of this? Oh, it's, you know, it's so funny. So we had um, gotten married young. We had decided to go audition for a group called the Continental Singers. And oh, we, yeah. We, yeah. Them. And so we were going to travel for a summer. I was one of the singers and he was playing bass. And this was, you know, we, we would have been 19 at the time, I guess. We'd been married a short time. And it was while we were on tour with Continentals that I discovered I was pregnant with Rachel. So we we had, in the meantime, had applied to start college up in Bellingham, Western Washington University. So we left the tour. Mike worked for the rest of the summer. And then we did a year of college in Bellingham. And that's where Rachel was born. And while we were there, we were given an opportunity through some people we knew to move to Michigan and help start a church. And we thought, well, that'd be a good idea. So <laughs> off we went. Uh, so one year of college then, off to Michigan, Mike's traveling around the world playing music for a gospel singer, and I'm helping, you know, do some things with the church. Became pregnant with our second child. We moved back to Washington. Um, he was born. I did another most of a year at the community college near where we lived. And then there's a 10 year gap where we did a lot of things. Mike traveled playing music and, uh, you know, we had the rest of our kids and it wasn't until I was, you know, in my early thirties had at that time four kids uh, and we were living in Nebraska and I just, I got the idea that I wanted to finish my degree and so I finished it at uh, the University of Nebraska in Omaha. Um, that's where I, and I, uh, I thought I would get a teaching degree because I was homeschooling my kids. And at the time, it, it hadn't been too long before that, that homeschooling was illegal in Nebraska. Right. <laughs> You're such a rebel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it, at the time I was doing it, it was legal, but I thought, well, that could change. So if I get a teaching certificate, then I could still you know, probably still teach or still homeschool my kids. But as I talked with Mike about who's always been so supportive of me doing stuff um, about what I was going to study, I, I, I didn't really want a teaching degree and I wanted to study political science. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so that's what I got my degree in. And it was during that period of time that I was talking about what to do after that. And um, someone who had you, you asked me if I'd always had a dream of being a lawyer and the answer is no. When I, way back when I was in uh, high school, a teacher had mentioned that I should consider it because she thought I would be good at it for various reasons. But at the time I thought, well, that's awesome. But kids like me don't go to law school. That's for rich kids. And so never considered it. And then life just went other directions. But 
as I was talking to my advisor in the political science department, Dr. Kerwin uh, was asking me what, you know, what I wanted to do. And I mentioned, oh, I've thought about law school, but, you know, do you think I could get into, there was Creighton Law School was like 15 minutes from our house in Omaha. And he, he said, sure, you, you could get in there, but you could do better. You should consider better schools. Not that there's anything wrong with Creighton, but so I went and talked to Mike and I said, you know, I kind of think maybe I'd like to go to law school. You know, we, as we were talking about what to do, I said, I've, I've always, I think I'd kind of like to go to law school. I've always thought that would be kind of cool. And Mike, without batting an eye, just said, well, then you should go to law school. Wow. And I, I remember thinking, I can do that. Because hmm. now not only am I just the log truck driver's daughter, uh, you know, not a rich kid, but now I'm a you know, 30 something year old mom of five kids, <laughs> you know, one thing led to another. And we ended up after I graduated from uh, UNO moving to Ithaca for me to go to Cornell Law School. Wow. That's amazing. And that, I just love, you know, everybody has a story. And I love just all the different aspects of your story. And the fact that I, th I think we all can look back on the past and think, well, I'm just a logger's daughter or, you know, I was in foster care in, in high school and that's going to determine it. But you had a couple things going for you. One, you had Jesus, obviously. He's always answered everything. Uh, but you had a supportive husband who was a cheerleader for you. And before we recorded this interview, you said, I have a really great life. And I think that's a great testimony to people today who, you know, it's so great to just look around you and think, you know what, God has given me a really good life. And, and I see that in you. You're very successful. You uh, have a terrific podcast. And I just, I can see it. I can see this really great life. And there's some, some lovely parts of your story. So I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share them with us today. It's interesting to be thinking about those things again. You know, you asked me to be prepared to tell a story. And I thought, I always think nobody, none of us really thinks our own life is extraordinary. You know, we just live it. But when I think about it in the terms we've talked about, I am so grateful. You know, I'm, I, I'm blessed far beyond what I deserve. But, you know, that's the whole point of grace, isn't it? That, that we don't, get what we do deserve. And we do get what we couldn't possibly have earned. Right, right. So in light of that, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's maybe unpacking their past and, and looking at some of their past woundings? What kind of advice would you give from your own life about how you got through that? I think, you know, that if, if I have anything to say, it's that God is merciful, and that there's grace available for anybody who will ask for it. And that our past doesn't have to define us. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because even now, I'm a partner level attorney at the Dallas office of a very large international law firm with a, you know, a good income and all the things that go with the, the prestige of that position. And very often in my mind, I'm still that log truck driver's daughter who's wearing hand-me-down Salvation Army clothes and getting free lunch at school. And so I have to remind myself that my past has shaped who I am today, but it doesn't define who I am today. And it has, it doesn't define who I'll be tomorrow that, you know, God is gracious and he 
put people into my life. I don't really feel like I can take credit for any of the stuff here because he put me in Fred and Julie's house and they made a home for me at a time when I was so wounded and introduced me to people who introduced me to Jesus and who introduced me, took me to a school where I met people who believed in my abilities and my talent and who, and, and he put me in a group and then brought Mike there and had prepared Mike to be exactly the husband I needed. I was 18. I couldn't have known that he was the right husband for me, but he has believed in me even when I don't believe in myself. And I think if we can take a step back and not get lost in the past and the mistakes we've made or the things that people have done to us, but watch for God's hand, Yeah, you know? Because it's the the evidence is there if we look for it. I agree. Such a good word. And so, as you look back over the past three hundred sixty five days, your past year, how has God restoried you? Oh my goodness! He just reminds me every day how much I have to be grateful for. I I mean, our our my life is changing even now as we speak. Um, I'm as I said, I'm at this law firm, but I'm changing my my work routine, my work schedule. So I'm going to be practicing law, basically part time, working mostly from home and spending more of my time uh, doing things related to the podcast and and the things that I do to serve the community that's built up around the podcast. And so I facilitate masterminds and I do some one on one coaching and stuff with the women who are in those those groups. And so I'm going to have the opportunity to spend more time doing that, which I find so amazingly rewarding. I mean, I, it's just amazing that people listen to the show and that they find something of value in it. And I'm going to get to do more writing, which I've had to put on the back burner for the last several years. So I'm, uh, that's all going to happen starting the beginning of April. Oh, yay. So Mm -hmm. uh, give our listeners, uh, give my listeners your URL or how we can find you um, and how we can find the productive woman. Well, it's, you know, the podcast is in iTunes and various places, but the easiest way to find me and everything related to that is at theproductivewoman.com. That's the website. You find the show notes. You can play the podcast there. And there's also, you know, links to find me on Facebook and to send me an email. And I love hearing from people. So that's it's, that's the best thing. I, I'm getting sort of geeky about checking my email too much because I love hearing from people. <laughs> Yeah. And what you've done there is you've created a community and you've kind of mentioned that with mastermind groups, but also just your listeners, they're very, you're curating them or you're, you're compiling a community. And I I just commend you for that. It's been pretty amazing. We've got a private Facebook group that uh, women, I have men who listen to the show as well, but the Facebook community is only for the women. And and there's just some great supportive conversations that go on there that I'm, I'm just amazed to watch these women from all over the world, literally all over the world, asking questions and answering questions and encouraging each other. It's just amazing. It's so much fun. Awesome. Well, I hope uh, you gain a few more listeners because of this great broadcast today. And thank you so much, Laura, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for and, and thank you for making this this platform available. I, I love hearing the stories of the guests, and so I'm honored to be one of them. Hey, thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? 
Jesus, thank you that we are not the sum of our stories from the past, meaning they don't have to inform us every day, but they can become the parts of our past that inform today so we can be healed from the past and move forward with joy. Help us to live like Laura does, to live in the moment, to recount the blessings that you have given us, to be grateful and to live with gratitude every day. Lord, I know that I would be happier uh, if I continue to live in light of gratitude. So I pray that for my listeners today, that we would take a moment today just to write them down, just to list all the ways that you've been faithful to us. And I know that list is like a million, a, a million uh, lines long. So Lord, thank you for just being so good to us. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-5. That's marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-5. And hey, I would love for you to live a brand new story this week.